April 15, senior U.S. congressional members visited Taiwan under the cautious eye of China. This show of support was perhaps an attempt to bolster Taiwan's faith in the U.S. as an ally that the island can count on should Beijing attempt to invade. And with continued Ukrainian resistance to Russian aggression, Taiwan is reconsidering its own self-defense. But the war in Ukraine has not just shifted Taiwan's domestic perception. It's fueled the debate about Beijing's calculus to absorb Taiwan. How should Taiwan strategize for its own defense? What are the overall implications of the war in Ukraine for Taiwan and the Indo-Pacific? Has it created more challenges or has it opened more opportunities? My name is Zoe Lang, Director of Track 2 Diplomacy at the George H.W. Bush Foundation for U.S.-China Relations. And welcome to the Bush China Foundation podcast. Today, we'll unpack these important issues with Dr. Bonnie Lin. Dr. Lin is a Senior Fellow for Asian Security and Director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Previously, she was the Acting Associate Director of the Strategy and Doctrine Program of RAND Project Air Force and a political scientist at the RAND Corporation, where she analyzed different aspects of U.S. competition with China, including U.S.-China competition for influence in the Indo-Pacific and China's use of gray zone tactics against U.S. allies and partners. Dr. Lin also served in the Office of the Secretary of Defense from 2015 to 2018, where she was Director for Taiwan, Country Director for China, and Senior Advisor for China. Bonnie, thank you so much for joining us. Zoe, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm really glad to be here. We have a lot of ground to cover, so let's dive right in. As the whole world is taking note of Russia's tactics and Ukraine's resistance, many countries in Asia think that it has serious implications for their own situations. So far, what would you say are the most important lessons that Taiwan can use from Ukraine? That's a really good question to start with. And so I would say, uh, looking at the Ukraine crisis and conflict from Taiwan's perspective, there are at least three very important lessons. I think the first is that it is very difficult to predict when you have an aggressor, aggressive and authoritarian country as your neighbor, when that country will be using force against you. The second potential lesson learned that Taiwan might be taking away is that given the inherent uncertainties of the security environment that it faces, again, the fact that it is right next to a very aggressive neighbor, and the power differentials, so significantly strong Chinese military uh, compared to a sophisticated Taiwan military, but it's much smaller in size. Given these differentials, Taiwan needs to invest significantly more in its defense capabilities. Although it is highly likely that the United States will come to Taiwan's defense in the event of a China-Taiwan conflict, Taiwan can never be 100% certain, and Taiwan needs to be prepared. The third important lesson learned that I would say that Taiwan is largely taking from Ukraine is that any China-Taiwan conflict will likely be incredibly costly and devastating for the island. And if China was to attempt anything similar to what Russia tried to do and is continuing to try to do in Ukraine, which would be to famously land on Taiwan and evade the island, it would be a long and protracted conflict 
And this conflict wouldn't involve just the Taiwan military, but it would also involve the Taiwan people. So the Taiwan people needs to have a significant stake in their own defense. Right now, I want to flip the story and ask what effects the war has had on China's policy toward Taiwan. Do you think the war has led to some rethinking on the Chinese side? So this is a question that's being asked quite a bit uh, in D.C. as well as uh, internationally. And I would note that you asked if China's policy towards Taiwan changed. In my reading of policy, that's China's official government policy towards Taiwan. That's different than China's perception of Taiwan, as well as it's also different from China's perception of its military capabilities vis-a-vis Taiwan. So in terms of China's policy, I have not seen any changes to its policy as a result of Ukraine. So for example, we have not seen China shift its preference to unify with Taiwan through peaceful means first. We have not seen any clear evidence or new timelines by which Xi Jinping says that China must unify with Taiwan. We also have not seen any changes to China's belief that it cannot or should not use force against Taiwan. In fact, China remains ready to use force to deter Taiwan independence or unify with Taiwan as needed. Similarly, when we think about potential scenarios in which China could use force against Taiwan, we have not seen any revisions in what we assess to be Beijing's red lines for Taiwan for potential use of force. So examples of those red lines have been well identified by the U.S. government. And they include, for example, a formal declaration of Taiwan independence, Taiwan's acquisition of nuclear weapons, and other factors. So as we're looking at, at least in terms of China's policy towards Taiwan, those haven't changed. But if you're talking about China's assessment of its military capabilities and whether it can evade Taiwan, those have changed. You mentioned in your recent article in Foreign Policy with John Cover. It's about people tend to conflate policy and ability. So if you can help us unpack some of that, like that would be great. So as I mentioned, there's the overall policy, which really hasn't changed since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And it makes sense that it hasn't changed because that's a conflict on the other side of the world, right? That doesn't really impact China-Taiwan relations. But China is watching what Russia is doing in Ukraine and taking lessons learned as well as taking away how it should think about its own military capabilities. So what I write in my article with John Culver is that there is the policy element and then there's the capability element. And in terms of capabilities, there's actually two related questions, which I didn't get to fully unpack in the the article, but I'll unpack it a little bit here. The first is, does Xi Jinping, having seen what Russia went through in Ukraine, believe that the PLA is capable of engaging in a significant military operation against Taiwan. And this related question is, how does the PLA assess its own capabilities? These are separate questions because how the top Chinese leader assess its military capabilities might be different, for example, than how a Chinese general or military leader assess his own unit or his overall military capability. So in Xi's view, how does she view China? This is a little bit more difficult to tease out because we don't have, you know, such great insight into what goes in Xi's mind, exactly how he thinks. But we do know shortly after he came to power, we've seen significant discussion in China about 
many of the military weaknesses within the PLA. So in 2015, Chinese leaders identified what they call the five incapables of the PLA. That is, some Chinese military commanders cannot, one, judge situations, two, understand higher authorities' intentions, three, make operational decisions, four, deploy forces, and five, manage unexpected situations. So in other words, PLA commanders really couldn't operate as commanders. That's a pretty negative list of what Chinese military commanders could not do. And similarly, right after those assessments, we saw major reforms restructuring the PLA in late 2015, starting in late 2015 and uh, beginning in more speed in 2016. All these restructuring was accompanied by repeated emphasis from Xi Jinping himself that the PLA needs to train realistically and to be able to fight and win wars. All of these suggest that even before Russia's invasion of Ukraine, China likely had some doubts about the PLA's capabilities. Now, then we have Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And I think it's important to put that in context with how Xi Jinping tends to think of Vladimir Putin. He has had great admiration for Putin. Uh, The two have met 39 times, and he has stated that Putin has played a weekend very well. So if you look at it from that perspective, I don't think Xi Jinping is looking at what Russia is doing in Ukraine and saying that Putin made a huge strategic mistake. Putin does not know how to deal with strategy. Putin is irrational. I think it's more likely he probably has doubts to which Russian military commanders actually brief Putin accurately and candidly on Russia's military capabilities. So then if he was to take that lesson learned from Ukraine and reflect on how the PLA operates and how the PLA briefs him, he must believe that there is some similarity between the two authoritarian systems. And that could create more doubt within Xi Jinping with respect to how he thinks about China's military capabilities. My article also touches briefly on how the PLA assesses its capabilities In short, prior to the Ukraine invasion, a number of Chinese military leaders assessed that China could achieve a rapid victory over Taiwan in a matter of days. We had one lieutenant general in the early 2000s assessing that China could successfully invade and take over Taiwan in three days. Well, we saw Russia try to do that in Ukraine, and it did not happen. This should introduce significantly more doubt within the PLA about its assessments of Taiwan. And as a result of that, uh, what John and I write in our article is that we believe in the near term, there will be more PLA uncertainty of its capabilities. The longer term, what she will ask of the PLA and what the PLA might ask of itself is to invest more in its capabilities so that it becomes a more capable force, capable of executing these large scale military operations, including an amphibious operation against Taiwan. So overall, the PLA could be more lethal more escalatory, and more dangerous in the longer term. Fascinating. I actually want to stick with your article just a little bit longer. You talked about like how China might prioritize information dominance to break Taiwan's will to, to fight and resist. I think that's really important. And can you elaborate on that? And you know, what should one do to, to counter it? So China's prioritization of information dominance is not a new development that has happened after Ukraine. That has been part of its uh, military doctrine, military thinking for quite some time. And as my article impacts, information dominance is a relatively encompassing concept. So it includes everything in terms of how information is used 
to guide precision munitions or precision weapons, how information is used to inform soldiers on the ground, to how information is used to undermine the morale of the target population. So when Chinese analysts say that or observe that Russia didn't do quite well on the information front, they're referring to a whole suite of issues. But the thing that I think you're referring to is more of the information warfare that's happening on the ground. So what China observed in Ukraine was, at least in the initial weeks, most of the global media, uh, and particularly the Western media on this, really emphasized how well Ukraine was doing, uh, minimized Russian losses, and Zelensky was very out front publicly, both in terms of his international profile as well as still being able to communicate to his domestic audience. That, from the Chinese perspective, allowed Zelensky to really continue to gain more international support, but also encourage his people to continue fighting. So when China thinks about that for Taiwan, one of the things that China will likely try to do is make sure that whoever is the president of Taiwan then, when China evades, uh, if China evades rather, will not have that opportunity. So this could be taking out Taiwan's critical infrastructure, Taiwan's communication networks, and it could also involve making sure that Taiwan's leaders do not have such opportunities, which include potentially taking out some of Taiwan's key leaders. So given the asymmetries between military capabilities, this is obviously something that is not easy for Taiwan to defend against because of all the military assets that China has pointed at Taiwan, but also the degree in which China also has penetrated and infiltrated the existing Taiwan networks and the fact that China has pro-China supporters and proxies on the ground in Taiwan. But Taiwan is looking in a number of ways to build resilient communication networks, to beefen its ability to maintain comms during wartime. And I think there are also discussions of whether, for example, uh, Taiwan's president should pre-record some of these messages so they could be released to the public in the event of a crisis or conflict and the Taiwan president needs to move to a secure location. So there's a lot of discussion happening right now. I've noticed that you know, Taiwan has so far supported Ukraine in quite a few tangible ways, including like cash donations, adding Russia to, to high-tech export controls, alongside North Korea and Iran, and also like the private sector support of Ukraine's re- request to cease business with Russia. How do you think this fits into larger narrative of Taiwan as a partner for the West and as a bulwark against autocracy? I think it fits very well into this, this narrative, and I think you laid out the narrative very well. In addition to that, I would note that what's so important about Taiwan is not only the fact that it's an important partner of the United States, it also highlights to the international community an alternative political system that could exist, not necessarily in China right now, but could exist hypothetically because Taiwan largely draws from the same heritage and cultural roots as those of mainland China, but it is a democracy, right? Whereas China has a political system that is radically different. Um, some have made the case that China can cannot be a democracy, but I think the continued existence of such a vibrant democracy in Taiwan that upholds many of the va- shared values and ideals that the international community upholds is a clear reminder 
to China and particularly the Chinese Communist Party that there is an alternative way that they could think about governing China. And Taiwan provides an example to not only China, but also the international community. So let's zoom into to the domestic discussions taking place in Taiwan. Can you give us an overview of Taiwan's perceptions of the war? The Ukraine conflict is sparking a reassessment of Taiwan's defense. And there are many complex questions associated with how the island should defend itself against a more powerful, both politically, economically, as well as military. So on one hand, we are seeing a number of efforts to strengthen the island's defense. So we're seeing that Taiwan is reassessing whether it should extend the length of military conscription to be more than four months. Many Taiwan citizens are encouraged by Ukraine's strong resistance and believe that Taiwan can and should do the same. So we're seeing, for example, some of them practicing first aid and combat fitness drills in public parks. On the other hand, I think it's important to point out that there are some in Taiwan that are seeing more doubts and uncertainties when it comes to defending their own nation and what they view as their own country. So some are misperceiving that the lack of U.S. and NATO conventional military involvement in Ukraine means that the United States will not aid Taiwan in a potential crisis or conflict with China. Some are worried that Taiwan cannot be resupplied militarily or in other ways, because in a conflict, you need much more than just military supplies. You might also need food and other supplies. Uh, Taiwan cannot be resupplied as easily as Ukraine because Taiwan is surrounded by water and there, it doesn't border any other countries or regions by land. There are also some that believe or are worried that Taiwan may not be able to hold out as long as Ukraine because Taiwan is more internally divided than Ukraine. So as the Taiwan people, as well as the Taiwan political leadership observed what's happening in Ukraine, there are a lot of different ways to interpret the lessons learned. And I don't think there's just there is just one Taiwan interpretation of the Ukraine conflict. Some analysts have argued that in a Taiwan context, the threat of a full-scale invasion is significantly smaller than the threat of gray zone activities in peacetime. Given your expertise in China's gray zone tactics against U.S. allies and partners, can you explain what they are and what China has been doing in this space vis-a-vis Taiwan? Gray zone tactics broadly defined are measures that a country takes to pressure or coerce its target that seek to do it in either an incremental way or in a way that does not promote a significant or symmetric retaliation. I give you a very broad definition, but when we think of gray zone tactics, particularly in the military sphere, usually that involves China taking an action against one of its neighbors that uh, is relatively incremental, salami slicing, or just below the threshold in which the other side will respond using conventional force. So when it comes to Taiwan, we've seen China take a range of gray zone tactics, not only in the military side, but on the political side, economic side, and military. So on politically, China has been using a variety of coercive means, including trying to ply Taiwan's diplomatic partners away from Taiwan, offering them various forms of aid or other guarantees in order to switch diplomatic recognition to mainland China. On the economic side, we've seen China put significant pressure on select Taiwan individuals, whether those are business elites, 
Taiwan companies, or even we've seen visa cases pressure on particular Taiwan political elites and their families, including restrictions of their ability to invest or travel to China. On the military side, when people refer to gray zone, that typically it involves some form of action that is does not involve significant use of conventional force. So that could be the, the large number of PLA or Chinese military flights into Taiwan's air defense identification zone. It could be the use of uh, various military assets to sail around Taiwan or to engage in exercises next to Taiwan. So when it comes to deterring and improving fairness against China's military aggression, do you think Taiwan is doing enough or prioritizing well? So Taiwan is doing a lot, and I think they face a very difficult situation because they have, as with any country, quite a bit of threat, but a limited defense budget. And an issue that I think is very important to focus on is that the most difficult threat that Taiwan faces is, of course, a Chinese amphibious invasion of the island. But that is not necessarily the only threat that uh, Taiwan faces, and it's not necessarily the most likely threat that Taiwan faces. There are other ranges of military threats that China poses, including, for example, China could establish a joint blockade around Taiwan. China could seize one of Taiwan's offshore islands. And the capabilities that that Taiwan would need to invest in to defend against a potential Chinese invasion of Taiwan are not exactly the same as the capabilities to deal with other, some of these other threats. So when you ask, is Taiwan doing enough on its defense? I think the default answer is Taiwan's doing a lot, but you really have to talk about with respect to what type of threat. There is an argument that Taiwan is already under attack given all the you know, gray zone tactics that you, you mentioned that China has been doing. And I was just wondering, what should the U.S. and its allies and partners in the region do to help secure Taiwan? Sure, there is quite a bit that our allies and partners can do. But I, but I would say that you know one of the main lessons learned from Ukraine for Taiwan is that Taiwan should really take its defenses in its own hand. I'm not saying that Taiwan is not, but I think the first to talk about is what the Taiwan government should do more of. And here, there's a lot of discussion in D.C. on what Taiwan can do if we're talking about the the high end, the most difficult scenario, which is that invasion. So here I want to point out to an excellent article by my colleagues, Andrew Erickson and Gabe Collins in War on the Rocks about eight different ways in which they talk about how Taiwan could further become a porcupine to prepare for countering a PRC invasion. So they highlight that Taiwan should be investing in ballistic missile defense, air defense, sea denial fires, shore denial fires, mine warfare, information warfare, civil defense, and resilience of critical infrastructure. If we look at what the United States, Japan, Australia, other U.S. like-minded allies and partners can do, there is a whole bunch. So, for example, we could do much more on with Taiwan on the economic front. Even So even if Taiwan is not able to join the U.S. Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, we could think about further advancing discussions with Taiwan on a bilateral trade agreement. On the economic side beyond bilateral, Taiwan has applied to join the CPTPP, right? And, of course, there's also a Chinese application, but our key allies who are already part of this agreement, 
including Japan and Australia, uh, should really give quite a bit of consideration to the to the Taiwan application to join this multilateral trade agreement. On the military side, the United States already does quite a bit with Taiwan, but we can we can always deepen the uh, military training as well as our exercises with the Taiwan military. Similarly, Japan and Australia could think of ways to begin to potentially either engage more with the Taiwan military, or if they're if those activities are still too sensitive, they can think about operations around Taiwan that would support Taiwan's defense without necessarily um, involving significant interaction with the Taiwan military. To close it out, if you could give the Biden administration one piece of advice on securing Taiwan that they are not already doing, what would it be? Planning for the worst case scenario for Taiwan, which is the Chinese amphibious invasion of Taiwan, if we're too focused on those capabilities, which some interpret to be only asymmetric and short-range military capabilities, some of those capabilities will limit Taiwan's ability to respond to Chinese raison military coercion. And politically and domestically, Taiwan leaders cannot not respond to Chinese raison activities. So we need to think about what is the right balance of Taiwan's investments and its military capabilities. It can't be only only and completely one type of assets. Well, Bonnie, thank you for helping us unpack many of these questions. This war has certainly caused uh, perceptions to shift quickly, and we will likely see that continue for, for quite some time. But you have already uh, helped us understand some of the immediate implications. Thank you very much for inviting me to join the podcast, Zoe. It was great to be with you. Remember to look for the Bush China Foundation podcast on our website, SoundCloud, and Spotify, where you can follow our conversations. Thank you for listening. <laughs>